0: Well, this is a casual podcast with Brian and Brad. Back again. Back again. We've uh, we've got two in the can in the last like five days. No, crazy man. We're pumping these out. Heck yeah, man! After two years hiatus, yeah, we're,
1: we're back, Bradley. We're
0: back. Two really good ones. Yeah. Oh yeah. This yep. one uh, right up there at the top of my favorite podcast that we have done.
1: Yep. Mine too.
0: Christina Kuzmic, uh, you might know her from social media. It's pretty much where everyone knows her because yeah
1: <laughs> be hard not to <laughs> yeah with a billion views
0: following. yeah with a billion views on 2.8 uh, on facebook I mean, yeah followers that, that's crazy 2.8 million people and to just be in yourself yeah is is what she is yeah. and 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 i think that's what people relate to yep yeah, yeah.
1: very relatable story um you know i everybody should buy the book yeah read it there's a ton of like little nuggets and awesome things that she does in there that you could easily apply to your and your family's lives.
0: Well, I mean, you and I both thought that like, she's like, um, she makes the mom videos. Yep. We're not, what are we yeah. going to relate to? Yeah. Where's the dad video? Yeah. Where's the, <laughs> but I related more to this book than I would have ever thought in a million years. Yeah, me too.
1: And, and, and even just like, even our podcast with her, it, it. it I think, like I said, man, she's one of those things where it's going to be very relatable for families.
0: Yeah. Or individuals just Mm -hmm. struggling. Even like she mentioned it, like people will come to her shows that don't have kids, but can relate to her story. And it's kind of like you said, what our podcast is is about. We just like people with interesting stories. Because everybody has one. Everyone has one, but you don't know what they're dealing with. So it's nice to have somebody on here that's... I I don't want to say the voice for the voiceless, but... She's like kind of the only person I know that is out there being herself that has the following that she has and isn't trying to be, hey, look at my perfect life yeah. on social media. It, that's what's relatable, and that's yeah. what draws people to her. And uh, Again, two new fans, big fans oh, for, yeah. for me and you. And, uh, yeah, the, she's got the show coming up March 27th over in Spokane at the Spokane Comedy Club. I mean – I would like to go. I would like to go too, man. Yeah. And hopefully we can and, and, and introduce ourselves, yeah, but uh, that, would, that would be awesome. Absolutely. So, uh, I, we hope you enjoy this podcast and, uh, we'll have more on the way. This is uh Christina Kuzmic on the casual podcast.
2: It's the casual podcast with Brad and Brian. What is the
1: casual podcast? It's just a couple of casual dudes talking about interesting things with interesting
0: people. Here's the next episode. All right. So, uh, if you don't know, Christina is on the phone with us, uh, she is from Croatia originally, moved to the U.S., and uh, has quite the following on social media. Yeah. To yeah. say the least, quite the following. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, w- you grew up in Croatia, like I said. Uh, what what exactly brought you to the U.S.?
2: So, when I was 12 years old, a war started in Croatia. And so, a couple years later, I was 14, uh, my dad got an opportunity to come teach in the U.S., and we wanted to get out of obviously the craziness of the war so we moved never with the idea of staying here permanently my parents were always like we're gonna go there until things calm down in croatia and then we'll go back and so my whole family eventually moved back and i stayed in the u.s so by the way not a great time to move to a different country and culture when you're just starting high school and already awkward and weird, like not, I do not recommend this to anybody.
0: <laughs> so, how, how tough was that? Did you did you get made fun of a lot? Uh, were you just kind of that that one that just stood up against the wall? Because I mean, now you're so open with everything and and so bubbly. Were you were, did you try to do that to fit in with people, or did, were you just kind of a wallflower?
2: I mean, I was a dork. Any attempt I tried to make at fitting in just ended up, you know, leading to being mocked and bullied. I just I if if, I was like every bully's dream, like I gave them so many reasons to make fun of me. They didn't even have to get creative. Um, But, you know, I was still learning the language. I had a thick accent. I didn't have, you know, the clothes that, you know, I didn't know what was fashionable in the U.S. And in Croatia, a lot of times we would wear the same exact outfit three days in a row. You do that in, you know, Boston, Massachusetts, you're going to get made fun of a lot. So, you know, and I didn't understand the lingo and, you know, all the little sayings. So I just, I was not a cool kid. Let's put it that way. I was not cool at all.
0: <laughs> well, I feel like most of us weren't at one point either. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. one of the cool kids. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So Christina, my
2: kid, how My by the way, my kids still don't think I'm cool. So that's the <laughs> one thing that stays consistent. Well,
0: when you're a parent, I guess that is yeah. the yeah. thing. My mine's 3, so she still thinks I'm cool for you know, uh, sporadically, but for the most part I, you know, I'm <laughs> waiting for that day when she hates me. Right.
1: <laughs> so Christina, how, how did I mean, when your parents told you that you guys were moving to America, how how did what what went through your mind?
2: I mean, I had mixed feelings. We had actually visited the US before because of my dad's job and you know, it, it just compared to Croatia it was so lavish and amazing. And um, so there was a part of me as a teenager that was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. And I think a lot of, you know, kids especially just think of America as this rich country and everybody's rich and everybody's famous. And so, you know, it seemed like a glamorous place to move. But then on the other hand, I definitely had the survivor survivor guilt thing because, you know my friends are in croatia still you know in running to basements at times trying to protect themselves from the bombs and you know struggling and the economy there was struggling and so i felt i definitely had these like feelings of guilt like why why do i get to leave that stress and go live somewhere nice and they don't which is a lot for a 14 year old to process sure. so I probably should have been in a lot of therapy back then. I wasn't, but I should have been.
1: I mean, was that even a thing back then, though? I mean, I
2: don't know, yeah, it's that even exist back then.
0: So, and then, uh, well, why your whole family moved back to Croatia? What made you stay in America?
2: Well, right when they were moving, I was starting college, and so, and and at that by that point, I had sort of gotten adjusted you know, to the U.S., I liked it a lot, Um, I realized that there were more opportunities in the U.S. than Croatia for me, especially because I was a creative person, I decided to study theater in college, Um, I just knew if I wanted to do something artsy, there was probably going to be more opportunities in the U.S., and then I got married to my first husband, now ex-husband, right out of college, like literally, I think it was a week or two after I graduated college, I got married. Um, And then obviously, you know, that gave me more reason to stay. So, yeah.
0: So, and you were still on the East Coast at that point. When when did you move to the West Coast to try to, well, he got a job out here, right?
2: So I moved to the West Coast actually to go to college. I went to college in Southern California. Okay. And he was from California. So um, we just ended up staying. Then we went back to Boston because he was doing grad school in Boston and then back to California. So I've sort of I've lived between California and uh, Massachusetts.
0: And do you prefer it out here on the West Coast?
2: I don't ever want to move. I love <laughs> it so much. I, I'm definitely a warm weather type person. If it's under 70 degrees, my neighbors my neighbors will tell you I'm wearing earmuffs. <laughs> I am in a coat. <laughs> like anything under 70, I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, then I would suggest when you come up here to Spokane uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe packing an extra sweatshirt or something, because, I mean, in the March, it is kind of warm, but there are days that are hit or miss, so you just never know. So I yeah, suggest packing an extra sweatshirt.
2: I'll bring a snowsuit just to be safe. End <laughs> of March in Spokane. I'm not risking it.
0: And then, uh, so, when you were out here, uh, you got divorced, like you mentioned, uh, and then Things kind of I don't want fell apart for you. Is that?
2: Uh, yeah, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I left uh, my marriage after five five and a half years, and at the time, my kids were one and a half and three. And I didn't ask for any child support. I just sort of I didn't want to add any extra drama, any extra fighting, and I just decided to sort of just leave and figure it out. Uh, which I don't advise, by the way, to anybody going through this. And so I ended up sharing a small bedroom with my children. I couldn't afford an apartment just for us, so I had a roommate in another room, and we shared. my kids and I shared a small room, and for a while slept on the floor because I couldn't even afford a bed until a friend of mine gave me a bed. And, you know, went on food stamps and just really struggled financially um, while, you know, waiting tables and trying to support my kids on that. But more than that, I sunk into a really deep depression, and I genuinely believed my children would be better off without me. And that was, you know, struggling financially. Anybody, especially if your parents struggling financially, that's already stressful enough. But then if you hate yourself on top of that and feel worthless, you know, that just obviously makes it so much harder.
0: Yeah, that's uh, uh, just reading that in your book. I mean, it it, it just hits so so close to home for me. I mean, it, it's I just couldn't imagine like putting that extra pressure on yourself, not having the, the support system with you and just trying to raise kids and try to figure it out. What kind of kept you going? Was it the kids or was it just something inside of you that said, no, I, I, as your book says, can't stop, just keep moving forward. What, what was it for you?
2: I mean, it was definitely my kids. I, you know, I, I definitely, and I write about it in my book that I had suicidal thoughts that. I genuinely believe they'd be better off without me. You know, it wasn't, I, I point out actually in my book, how a lot of times when parents are suicidal, uh, society will judge them and be like, Oh my gosh, that is so selfish. How dare they do that to their kids? And the truth is when you're at that low point, you actually are convinced that your children will be better off without you. Like you're actually going to be doing your kids a favor. So um, just throwing that in there for anybody who's got judgment against parents who are struggling, but um you know, I, even when I had those thoughts, I knew like, okay, I, if I can just make it through one more day for these kids, you know, and then eventually got to a point and I, there's this whole chapter in my book called Wednesday dinners where I decided I need to do something to distract me from this. Like I need to start doing something for other people because right now I'm obsessed with myself. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. When life sucks, you basically become obsessed with everything that is wrong with your life and everything that is wrong with you and you just sort of like you know i was like making out with self pity basically on a daily <laughs> basis and um and so i decided you know i'm going to try and volunteer this will be great it'll you know if i focus on other people in need it'll distract me from my own neediness and i got rejected from every place i called offering to volunteer because i would have had to bring my two toddlers with me and Nobody in their right mind wants toddlers volunteering because they're probably going to, you know, cause damage and burn the place down (laughs) um, because they're toddlers. And so finally decided, okay, if no one's going to let me volunteer, I'll figure it out on my own. And it's kind of a long story, but basically decided to figure out what was the one thing I still felt confident in when even at my lowest. And the only thing I could think of is I know I can cook a great meal, even on the tiniest budget, even with three ingredients. I can cook a great meal. And so started hosting these Wednesday night dinners where I just told my friends, if you know anyone who's in need, um, maybe they're not even in need financially, maybe they're just lonely, uh, bring them over and I'll feed people. I'd go to the 99 cent store and I purchased, you know, a few things, cans, whatever, and I knew how to spice it up the right way. And those Wednesday night dinners, I feel like, are what ultimately saved my life because I realized that even when I feel like I have nothing, if I can focus on that one thing, even if it seems tiny and insignificant, you know, a lot of people would have been like, "So what? I can cook. Millions of people can cook. That doesn't make me special." But if I focus on what I can do instead of all the things I can't do, then you know, there's, it's empowering.
1: So, do you still do the Wednesday dinners or any kind of form of that? And by the way, that that was a brilliant. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, when I read that in your book.
2: Oh, thank you. Um, I don't. I keep. I, I was actually talking to my daughter recently about it. I'm like, I would love to start doing something like that again. It's a little weird now because I feel like I wouldn't be able to have strangers at my house like I did before because I am somewhat recognizable, and we've actually had issues with, you know, quote-unquote fans finding out where I live and being creepy, and we had to move at one point. So anyway, so I feel
1: wow, like man, I geez. have more of a...
2: I have more of a guard up now. Um, I think because I'm so open and vulnerable on social media, and I share so much, that there are people that genuinely think I'm their best friend, and that can be sweet or it can be creepy, depending (laughs) on how far they take it.
0: Social media—it's a double-edged sword for sure. Uh, Yeah. Can you? What is your favorite memory from those Wednesday night dinners? Do you have one that like really sticks out, or was it all just such a great experience?
2: I mean, the one that always comes to mind is that the very first one. I did these for about a year or so, and the very first one, I had this like quick moment of just realizing that my little apartment is full of people. There were, in fact, there were so many people that showed up that first night that some people had to stand outside with their place because my apartment was like my area, my living room kitchen area was so small. <laughs> um, but just had that moment of, oh my gosh they're here and they're thankful to me. Like, you know, I was the girl everybody pitied. I was the girl that was, you know, with two screaming toddlers at a grocery store, paying with food stamps and getting judged for it. You know, I was the girl whose kids were, you know, didn't have the cool clothes. And I it, it, I always felt like I was pitied. Even in my job, the minute people found out that I was a single mom and I was, you know, struggling, I was always pitied. And here I was hosting this dinner and people were thankful to me, like I had something to give, and that is such a powerful feeling when you feel like nothing.
1: So you know, with that being said, you know, I mean, so you had that mentality for it seemed like for a long time. What what clicked? What what made you go from you know having the pity party to all of a sudden now you you're Christina who who we see on videos and read books and you're just out there i mean how what you was there a a single point where you remember taking that that turn
2: there were a lot of points because you know life nothing happens overnight right sure but i think the first step to that was and again i write this in my book how that first wednesday night dinner after everybody left and i closed the door i just sat on the floor and i just sobbed. i mean i cried so hard and it wasn't like tears of, oh, my gosh, my life sucks and it will never get better and I want to hurt myself. It was tears of, holy crap, like I have something to offer. Like I, I, did, I put something positive into the world today. And that was my first sort of, you know, changing point, turning point of, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do from now on. I'm going to start focusing on my short list of things I can do instead of the long list of things I can't do. And that still, by the way, carries me through my hard days now because you're always going to have hard days no matter what. Um, My hard days now are very different than they were back then. But even now I'll I'll think, okay, don't allow the few things that are completely out of your control control you completely. So I often ask myself, like, what is within my control today? What can I do? And that's immediately empowering. And I think thinking that way throughout the years after those Wednesday dinners is what got me to the point you know, where I'm today, but also everything I create now, whether it's a funny, silly video that seems pointless, but I I know it'll make somebody laugh or whether it's, you know, those videos where I really open up and pour my heart out. I always think back, what did I need when I was at my lowest? That's always my goal. I want to be for others what I needed when I was at my lowest and I needed to laugh. I needed to feel less alone. And so that's sort of what drives me. And that. That gives me the confidence to be as open as I am and talk about my flaws and shortcomings. Is that that's I needed that. I didn't need to see perfect people on social media. I needed to hear that somebody else has struggled and made it through.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in your book, I mean, it's got a a lot of awesome stories and content, and there's a lot of really good things to take away. But after reading the book, the, the biggest thing that I got out of it was like perspective. You know, mm-hmm. like like 100%, it, it just how you view two different situations is how you're going to view the outcome in yourself as well.
2: Yeah. And as you know, since you read the book, which, by the way, thank you for reading it, yeah. um, there's a chapter in there called Recovering Pessimists.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, it's a good I, chapter. <laughs> I really think, for me at least, I can't speak for other people, but I feel like I was born a negative person. Like, I, Like, I don't know biologically if there's something within us that causes us to be born towards you know with a propensity towards negative versus positive. But um, and then also I grew up with parents who were very pessimistic and in a culture, you know, Eastern European culture it tends to be very pessimistic. You know, if you even think about like Eastern European literature in general, it's very, very pessimistic. Um, and so just that, just learning to, you know, in every situation think, okay, if there's a 50% chance all of these bad things will happen and there's a 50% chance the outcome could be good. Why am I only focusing on the 50% negative, right?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so just that alone, gosh, makes life so much easier.
0: So, and then transitioning kind of, so uh, you worked at the restaurant there, things started to kind of click for you. Uh, you. You met your new husband, by the way, if you guys ever get divorced. I'm, I'm not gay, but I would probably leave my wife for him because you talk so highly of him uh he sounds fantastic and his and his mom by the way
2: know that. uh
0: so so you met him and then he kind of helped you like well he the big question was is what do you want to do with your life and so and that was the cooking videos right
2: yeah so we didn't have a honeymoon or anything and you know he was he kind of had this talk with me and he was like what do you want to do like you're so creative you're you know you have so much passion what do you want to do?" And I had no idea because I had been in survival mode. And then finally when I gave, gave it some thought, you know, I thought those those Wednesday night dinners saved my life. And, you know, my grandmother taught me how to cook when I was really little and I'm, I was very close with her. It was just sort of a part of my childhood and now it was a big part of my turning point out of my, you know, struggling and depression and all that. And so I thought I'm just going to make some cooking videos. Not I wasn't trying to become Internet famous or anything. Um put some recipes online. And then literally within weeks, a few weeks of me putting these videos out, somebody on YouTube found them and said, oh my gosh, I love your personality. You should enter the Oprah competition. And I was like, I don't, we don't even have a working television right now. I know who Oprah is, but I don't know what you're talking about. So the lady who, by the way, years later, like more than 10 years after this whole thing happened, I got to meet her um, in person. But the woman who emailed me, Anyway, so I enter this Oprah competition, and long story short, I get picked out of, I forget how many, thousands of people audition to be in this competition produced by Mark Burnett, 10 people trying to get their own TV show, and I end up winning the whole thing, which was insane. So basically, a few years before that, I'm sleeping on the floor, and now Oprah is giving me a cooking show on her network, which was I, it's just I still when I tell the story I feel like I'm lying. It's just
0: insane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah anything anytime anyone has a story about Oprah and they can say they know Oprah is absolutely amazing. <laughs> so so you yeah. and Zach Anner actually both won it right? Yes. And yes
2: and he he is still one of my best friends. I mean we we met through that experience and nobody else in the world can relate to the, you know what what we went through and what that's like. And, to, I mean, he he's like a brother to me. I love the guy.
0: And that that was one of my questions. I know you talked about it in the book, too. Uh, being locked up in a hotel, not being able to, <laughs> like, read. A, like, how did you not it's go crazy, crazy with yeah, that? It's crazy.
2: It was insane. I mean, they took the TVs out of our room. So a lot of people think, like, oh, hotel room sounds fun. You can just watch TV. No, they took the TVs. We weren't allowed to have newspapers, magazines, anything. If we had a book, it had to be approved. It was, like, so strict. Um, and so... It gets pretty lonely. Like, I was ready to take a Sharpie and draw on a pillow, you know, and pretend <laughs> I had friends.
0: You like, and Wilson, huh?
2: Yeah, exactly. My own Wilson. Um, but Zach and I, you know, sort of the last few weeks, they became a little more lenient. and Because you weren't allowed to talk to other contestants either, unless you were on camera. And the whole idea is, like, if I get into a fight with another contestant in an elevator at the hotel, well, that's things for the production because they want to show that, right? That's good TV. That's good drama but we weren't even allowed to talk to anybody unless we were on camera. Um, And then they became a little more lenient the last few, I don't even know if it was weeks or days, and Zach and I just bonded. And again, it's been years now, and I talk to him regularly. I just, we're very, very close. He's amazing, by the way. You should read his book, If at Birth You Don't Succeed. He Mm was born with cerebral palsy, and so that's the title of his book, is just genius. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and so you guys won it. They they surprise both of you saying that you both have won. But then you get into it and you know, you're gonna make your cooking show, but they basically just shoot down everything that got you to where you were. How frustrating is that?
2: Yeah, it was I was so torn. And by the way, I always want to say this because Oprah was I, every experience I had with Oprah was wonderful. So this is not her fault. But I get stuck with T V execs who and producers who basically decide what my show is going to be and i again even back then i was like i want to be others what i needed mean, when i was at my lowest so i want to make this really fun realistic cooking show where my kids are throwing a tantrum in the background while i'm trying to put dinner on the table and everything's a mess and you know i look like a mess i'm still in my pajamas at dinner time just like really something that if a tired parent turned on and watched would go oh thank you just made me feel better about my life and they were like, no, 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 everything has to be perfect. That's not how it's done. And I was sort of torn between, I want to stand up for myself because I know the kind of TV show parents need to see. I know what I needed. And then on the other hand, being like, who am I to argue with these people who are professionals? You know, I'm new to this, and I should just shut up and be grateful. How many thousands of people auditioned and wanted this opportunity, and I got it, and I'm going to complain? So it's just like I was so torn and um, – I've learned my lessons since, you know, now I'm I'm much better about standing up for myself.
1: So you, you said that you and Oprah have had several interactions. Do you, do you guys still have, I mean, are you still in contact with her?
2: No, and I, and it's so many times, like, people have been like, well, can you still call her? And, I mean, I still have the number, <laughs> not her personal number, but, like, the office number saved in my phone. But I would never, you know, take advantage of that or cross the line. I do still literally to this day have random people email me and go, hey, I'm starting a new business, so could you please just call Oprah and let her know? And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Let me, yeah, let you me know, get right on that. Yeah, <laughs>
0: you're, Can you call your good friend Oprah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your bestie, really. <laughs> and, right. Uh, just circling back, I just wanted to give Kim Schofield a, a shout-out because she's the one that emailed you, right? To-
2: yes, yes.
0: To, to get you into the competition. And and so you, have you only met her the one time, or is that someone you, you talk to? Yeah, so like, you,
2: no, years went by, um, and we sort of stayed in touch, actually, over social media. And then I had a speaking gig in Arizona, and so I think I said it was 10 years later. It was less than 10 years later, because 10 years was like a year ago, I guess. But anyway, who cares? <laughs> um, I had a speaking gig in Arizona, and I let her know and i was like i really my dream has been to meet you in person and thank you because you changed my life like if you hadn't emailed me you know seen one of my videos emailed me about that oprah link it never would have happened and so we got to meet and it was just the best like it was such a i should have probably filmed that because it was a really cool moment
0: yeah that's amazing well it's just nice that people are out there being like hey you can do this and they believe in you and like complete strangers that's kind of the i know. power of the internet right
2: and she had no, like, I was a nobody. Like, my cooking videos had, like, 200 views. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it was probably my husband watched it 199 <laughs> times and my mom watched it once. Like, <laughs> nobody, nobody knew who I was. So she wasn't even trying to get anything out of this. She just saw me, thought I had the right personality for TV and wanted to encourage me.
0: That's, a, that's amazing. Yeah, it's that again, that's the power of the Internet. There, there is good to the Internet, and there's also bad. But, you know, the good is always what out, outweighs and wins every time. Yeah. So, uh, also, I wanted to just, uh, after the whole uh, TV cooking show thing with Oprah kind of fell through, uh, Zach was actually the one that gave you your first camera and said, hey, you need to keep making your videos, right?
2: Yeah. So, he kept telling me, he's like, why don't you just make, you know, used to do the cooking videos, make videos on your own, and at that point, I don't know, I just was, I felt a little burnt out by the way the whole cooking show turned out, and part of me questioned whether... Maybe that's what people want. Maybe they want the perfect thing. And I don't know. I just felt kind of not into it. And then I gave birth to my third baby. And Zach showed up to come meet the baby at the hospital and was like, this is your gift for, yay, you popped out another child. And (laughs) instead of, you know, a baby blanket or whatever you typically get, um, he gave me a camera. And he said, here, now there's no excuses. Just start making videos. And then I actually still for an entire year didn't do it. It just sat in the box. I didn't even open the box. And um, and then about right, I think it was like right before my son's first birthday, I made my very first, you know, parenting, non-cooking video. And it was for reasons stretch marks are sexy. And it came from me, you know, the night before I shot the video, sitting in my living room, you know, late at night, everybody's asleep. My shirt is all the way up and I'm breastfeeding my baby. And I look down at my stomach and it's covered in stretch marks. And I have the, you know, typical stupid reaction of, oh, my gosh. This is so ugly. My stomach's so ugly. Oh, you know, my stretch marks look like a roadmap to hell. Like, what is happening over there? And then um had this moment of, oh, my gosh, there's, like, th- I'm, these thoughts are going through my head as my baby is breastfeeding. And I'm like, this is legit milk shooting out of my nipples right now and keeping a human being alive. Like, that is magical. That's amazing. And here I am worried about, oh, my stomach, and it's got wrinkles on it, and, you know. And so, anyway, I thought, I know I'm not the only one with these thoughts, and I shot my first video the next day.
1: So you have, like, over 1 million or 1 billion video views. What what goes through your mind, you know, when, I mean, you said you started this and didn't really think anything of it. I mean, a, a billion views,
0: that's, uh, that's pretty incredible. It's a pretty good benchmark.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't, it's hard for me to even grasp. Honestly, I can't. I, it's, It just looks like a number, but it hasn't really stuck in kind of thing. Even on, you know, I it's, I don't ever want to get used to it, I guess. I'm glad that it's still shocking to me. I'm glad that when I post the video and people love it and they share it, that, that it still gives me that feeling of like, oh, good, this resonated, you know, because I do think it's easy to just get used to it and expect it and take it for granted. And um, I don't want to.
0: <laughs> well yeah. that's a good way to look yeah, at it I definitely. mean to just keep going and going you know this is helping people and then so that was the first one you shot but the one that really caught fire was the uh breastfeeding in public one that that Ashton Kutcher shared
2: yeah so you know started seeing wars online about you know people shaming women because they're breastfeeding in public and I I dealt with the same thing I breastfed all three of my kids and so we were at a restaurant or something even if i had a cover on you know whatever it was just like people just thought it was gross and disgusting and so i decided to make this sarcastic video called four reasons women should never breastfeed in public and it was basically you know pointing out how stupid those arguments are and how silly they are and the same people that have a problem with that you know do not have a problem with you know nudity in other ways or whatever and so um posted that video and then within a few days woke up to my phone, just like, just n- numerous texts. I wasn't following Ashton Kutcher on social media, but a lot of my friends were, and they were like, oh my gosh, Ashton Kutcher shared your video. And it, that video was my first video that hit a million views. And then all of a sudden People Magazine is calling and Cosmopolitan Magazine is calling, like all these news out. And then I, I even did a you know, segment on CNN about the video. So it was just, it just sort of blew up into this thing I wasn't expecting. And that was sort of the first one that started getting me noticed.
1: Very cool. So, like, I mean, would people come up and say something to you when you're breastfeeding your kids, or was it more just the looks or a combination of both? Um, so,
2: both. I've been told, I, I think it was actually my first, which is always the hardest because it's your first, and you're still nervous. You know, young. I was a young mom. I had him at 24. Um, I had more than once somebody come up to me and say, you should really do that in the restroom. Wow. And you know, now I would be like, well, do you eat your food in the restroom? Like, <laughs> you sit in the stall, and that's where you eat your burger. You know, but back then I was just like mortified and oh my gosh, and felt self-conscious, and you know, because I was young and new to all this. Um, I have a shirt. We actually sell it on my at my shows on tour that um, just says "Mind Your Own Motherhood." And I'm like, man, I really wish I had that shirt back then. I would just wear it <laughs> everywhere.
0: <laughs> and that's kind of like the same thing that happened on happened to you on that flight the one time with with uh people telling you that you needed to, to keep the baby quiet and trying to teach yeah. you how to parent. And then the one guy was just simply like, You're doing great. Is yeah. w- was that like a, a big influence on you too and on kind of your outlook on life and how to approach things or were you already like that?
2: No, that was a huge uh influence. So the story basically goes, and any parent who's traveled with young kids can relate. I was flying from Croatia, which is a very long flight, and my kid was exhausted and crying, and I could not. I was doing everything to calm him down, everything, and had like two different snarky people, you know, just judge me. One was like, "Have you fed him?" And I wanted to be like, "No, I only feed my kids on Tuesdays, <laughs> so it's Wednesday, so he's gonna have to wait six days." I mean, and then I, I mean, it was just like judgment. And then this one guy just came up to me and said, you're doing great. I've been there. You're doing great. And I literally lost it and was so thankful. I mean, I still remember his face to this day, but then also when, and I think I, I, well, I did share this in my uh, book as well. When I was using my food stamps, I got judged. And there was this one lady behind me in line at the grocery store. And she said, why don't you get a real job instead of mooching off the government? And this is like, I have two little kids, which shopping with A two- and a three-year-old is already very, very hard. And then I'm paying with food stamps. I'm feeling already bad about myself. This is the point where I hated myself. And then I have this lady who, by the way, I did have more than one job. I had two jobs at the time, um, you know, judging me. So just all of those moments, whether I was judged or whether I was supported, like that nice man on the airplane, it it has all made an effect on, you know, what I create now because I want to make sure that, A, I am the voice. If, if they don't have someone in their regular life saying you're doing great, I want to be that voice for them. And second of all, I want to empower them to stand up for themselves and to not feel like they have to shrink or go breastfeed their kid in the, you know, um, bathroom or feel guilty if their kid is crying on an airplane.
1: So, would, would I mean, do you did you or do you, did you defend yourself in situations like that? I mean, did you stand up and say something back if, if the couple snarky people said something to you on that that flight or in a restaurant or something do you do you defend yourself?
2: No, I'm able to do that now. And I don't know if that just comes with age. I'm in my 40s now. Um or just more confidence, but like the food stamp story with the lady, you know, making that snarky comment, I couldn't stand up for myself because I already hated myself at the time. So if mm-hmm. anybody wanted to judge me, I was and the mindset of like i deserve it i deserve all the hate i receive which is so sad you know but i think a lot of parents already even if they're not at the point where they hate themselves right every every parent i know every parent has some sort of guilt yeah. and so if you struggle with parenting guilt and then somebody's adding guilt a lot of times you actually believe it you believe you're you deserve that because you believe you're you could do better and you're a bad parent and that's honestly what breaks my heart so much, and it's what I hear from my followers the most, is how bad they feel about themselves, how bad they feel that they can't be a perfect parent, which, by the way, is impossible. Nobody is, right? But yeah. we can't reach this this bar, this unrealistic bar we set for ourselves, and because we can't reach it, we just beat ourselves up constantly, and it's, it's just heartbreaking and unnecessary.
1: Yeah, the, the line in your book, uh, you know, more credit than criticism, more grace than judgment, I mean, that... That, yeah. that's just an awesome saying. I mean, and it, it applies in so many situations.
0: And do you come up with like that? Or is is this stuff you learned in therapy? Like, oh, are you a therapist? Like, how did you learn oh. <laughs> to have this outlook on life and, and get... I, I, I mean, I think you're a genius, really, in just the way that oh. you approach life. But, like, is that just the school of hard knocks? Or is it, like, is it something that you learned from therapy or a class or whatever it may be?
2: No, it's all... Just comes from my life, my own life. So, for example, more credit than criticism, more grace than judgment, is something I would say to myself. Even the title of the book, "Hold On, But Don't Hold Still," was something that I would say to myself. Sort of became, became my mantra of like, hold on, okay, you you do not end your life, do not you know you got to hold on, hold on to life, hold on to the people who are supporting you and being positive, hold on to hope, but don't hold still, meaning you can't just sit on your butt and be passive. Like, you've got to keep taking steps forward. You've got to be proactive. So, and then again, the more credit than criticism, more grace than judgment. Like most humans, I would lay in bed at the end of the day and think about all the things I didn't get done on my to-do list and what a loser I am and all the little parenting mistakes I made and how I could have done better. And then I was like, no, 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 no. Okay. Every night, instead of the judgment and criticism and all that stuff, I'm going to literally start listing things I did right. And I'm going to focus on the things I actually got done, even if they seem silly. Like I got out of bed and I brushed my teeth and I fed my children and I answered that email. I'm just going to focus, like, during the day, whatever. i got to make sure I get stuff done. But when I'm in bed at night, I'm only allowed to focus on what I actually did right. And, my gosh, if you want, like, if you need to sleep better, try that. Like, before you try melatonin or anything else, <laughs> try that first.
0: And it's just a <laughs> so little... So- and you did that for a year, right? Every, every night you wrote down something that, that you did good.
2: Yeah, that, that was actually that was my little exercise of trying to be a more positive person. I would write down something good that happened that day.
0: Um,
2: so basically, I have all these like little exercises and analogies and visual things that have helped me. Um, and so when they work for me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to share this with my audience. For example, this is not in the book, but it's a video I made. And it's not in the book because I didn't think of it till after I wrote the book. But I had, like, all this stuff I was feeling guilty about. And I was like, this is overwhelming. And so I decided I'm going to treat it. I'm going to pretend I have a file cabinet. And I'm basically going to file my guilt appropriately. So some of my guilt needs to go in the, uh, duh, you're human. Humans aren't perfect category. That's fine. I'll put it there. And then some things need to go in the category of, okay, this requires some work, but nothing to beat yourself up over. So basically, instead of piling everything I felt guilty about in the I totally suck and I'm worthless and, you know, <laughs> the category which we humans do, I would like literally in my mind, right, file it. And so I made this video where I'm by a filing cabinet and I'm filing. All, I think it's called feeling guilty, question mark, if anybody wants to look it up. But I just come up with these visuals that in the moment when I'm stressed or having a hard time help me and then I share them.
1: So where do you get your sense of humor from? I mean, considering everything that's gone yeah. on.
2: I I think I was probably born with it, just like I was born with it. <laughs> um, my grandmother would tell this story how, so when the war started in Croatia, I was 12, and my grandparents lived in an area that was not affected by the war. So my parents sent me there for the summer, and my, like, I get to my grandparents, this is so crazy for a 12-year-old to go through, I get to my grandparents' house, I just experience, you know, the noise and the scariness and everything of war. So I'm already sort of shell-shocked because I arrived and like two days after my grandparents' house, my grandfather falls to the ground, has a heart attack. My grandmother's trying to help him. And it's only the three of us there. And she's having me call their version of 911. So I'm here, I'm I'm 12. I just been through something traumatic. And now I'm trying to communicate, you know, that my grandfather just had a heart attack and I watched them come and take him and, It's just like it was like so much all at once. And my grandmother tells the story how I wrote this hilarious song about it, like about my grandpa falling down and being in the hospital. And there's bombs going on in my off in my city. And she was like, you wrote this hilarious song that some people would be like, what is wrong with this child? (laughs) But she was like, even at 12, you coped with things by using humor. You like that was your way of coping was trying to find the funny. And not in, like, a, I wasn't mocking people who were dying. I wasn't sure. mocking yeah. my grandpa. But I just was able to find the funny. And I honestly, I'm so grateful for that ability because it's gotten me through a lot.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of, I mean, what you have going on now, right? I mean, you have a tour, and it's kind of based upon parenting and humor. and
0: What can someone expect from your show? Like, I mean, is it, and is it, like, 95% women, but... You know, and then the five percent that the husband gets dragged to it. I mean, what what do you <laughs> see at the show?
2: Um, I would say it's usually eighty-five percent women. I'm totally making up a number. Fifteen percent men, and some of them come willingly, and some of them were dragged there. But then, <laughs> if they're at the meet and greet, and I ask them, "Be honest, did your wife drag you here?" They'll say yes, but honestly, I could relate to more than I thought I could. So that always makes me feel better.
0: Th- that, I very didn't true. write.
2: Yeah, I didn't write the show for moms. I wouldn't even say I wrote the show for parents. A lot of it is about parenting just because that is a big part of my life. So obviously I talk about it. But there's so much in there that just relates to any human being who has ever struggled, any human being who, well, the my book starts with the sentences, there's a name for when things don't work out the way you thought they would. It's called life. Mm-hmm. And so I always think like my show is for people who are like, hmm, it didn't, Things things didn't quite pan out the way I pictured my life would so there's there's a lot of I cover a lot of different things that humans can relate to and it's sort of like a stand-up comedy show meets like real raw stories inspiration motivation my goal has always been I want every single person who leaves my show to feel less alone in whatever they're struggling to and to feel more empowered to face whatever chaos life throws their way, just to feel more confident to
1: face
0: it. Yeah, and I mean, after reading your book, yeah, I didn't know, I you know, I I thought, yeah, it was just kind of a mom thing and, you know, a parent thing. <laughs> and, you know, I just got a three-year-old then it, it is, like, more relatable than I thought it would have been. It, you know, it's deeper than just the parent thing, like you said, which is, is kind of a testament to what, what you're all about.
2: Thank you. I mean, I just feel like there's so many things that, humans in general struggle with, parenting sometimes just like puts an extra spotlight on it, right? Because now we really, we really just want to do right by our kids and we really don't want to screw up parenting. And so what it does is all those insecurities and worries and things that we were already struggling with even before we were parents now sort of become amplified, right? So that's why I do have a lot of people that come to my show. They're like, I'm not a parent. I don't ever want to have kids, but a lot of things you talk about, I can relate to.
0: Totally, and th- there was another part in your book that, as I was reading it, uh, I was hearing my wife and and my three year old upstairs doing a homework project, and you know, mm-hmm. I I had to go upstairs because I was I was literally reading the the part where uh, your daughter wanted to make the the solar or you wanted to make the solar system cake yeah. and go all out with it, and then my wife was doing the exact same thing, like no no you got to do it here you got to do it there this is how we should do it like. So how do you step back and and realize okay wait a minute I should let her do this the way that she wants to do it? What, what there was a very interesting uh, anecdote in your book about that, but like what was that point where you're like oh crap you know I'm I'm trying to take this over I probably shouldn't.
2: I mean to be honest I still struggle with it. I think you know we parents are control freaks. It just happens that so when you have a child you become a control freak, and what I realized is that. You know, a lot of times, like, we think we're doing a kid's a favor, right? Like the example you're using with the homework. Like, well, we'll, it'll be better because of our influence, and we know how to do it better. But really the message we're sending them is your way's not good enough. Your ideas are not good enough. The colors you're picking are not good enough. You know, even, like, I tell parents, like, when their kid makes their bed, and then parents go in and they fix it, don't fix it. Who cares? Who cares if it's not perfect? Because by fixing it, you're telling your child, not good enough. And let's be honest, society in general, the world in general, will send us enough of that message to every human being that we are not good enough. There are ways not good enough. And so when I, when I get tempted to do it, I, I just try and I still fail at it. I'll be the first to admit, I still fail at this. I still struggle with it. But I try to remind myself that the message I'm sending to my child is that their way is not good enough. And gosh, I love my kids too much to choose to constantly be sending them that message.
0: And the other, uh, Part in your book that I that I found fascinating, and I'm going to carry on with me is uh, when you took your son out to find three good deeds, and you couldn't oh. go home. That was that was mm-hmm. like kind of a mind boggling yeah. thing for me, and and I, just such a. How did you come up with that? Uh, I, again, I I'm so impressed by all the things you come up with and the okay. way you do things. But like, uh, is that something you guys still do? And and again, how did you come up with that to begin with?
2: You know what? I, honestly. I get the most random ideas. It's so weird. Like a lot of times my ideas will come to me when I'm in the shower. I think it's because nobody's distracting me (laughs) and I can think clear, but like, I'll just get random ideas and I won't know if they'll work or not. So that was, that just came to me out of the blue and it was so fun. And I actually think it makes for a really great date night too. Um, you know, and you got to set it up like two hours, you know, here are the rules or whatever. But, um, yeah, I have no idea. People always ask me where my ideas come from. I I have no. They just pop in my head, and I'm so glad. It's going to be a very sad day when they stop popping in my head. <laughs> Maybe that's when I retire. That's 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 when I know it's time to retire.
1: Yeah, you know, I think the the couple of things that I'm going to take away from your book is is the, your yeah but game that you came up with. Mm, I mean, yeah, is is that another shower moment? I mean, is that are we <laughs> driving around and this popped in your head or? Um,
2: um. Yeah. So again, that was inspired by me being a pessimist, recovering pessimist, and I saw that in my oldest son. And I don't believe in suppressing your feelings. I don't. The way I describe it in my book is, I feel like, you know, if we suppress our feelings, um, obviously healing doesn't happen when you suppress your feelings, right? But if you're just dwelling on them nonstop, that's not good either. So in the book, I describe it as when you marinate chicken, right? Pretend that the marinade is your misery, and you are the chicken. (laughs) You're the piece of meat. And, you know, get in that marinade, right? Get in that marinade. Let yourself feel what you feel. Allow yourself to be angry. Allow yourself to feel sad. Let it season you. But then if you left that chicken in the marinade for days or weeks or years, it would turn into gelatinous poison. And that's basically what's going to happen to our joy um, and even our willingness to move forward. It's going to turn into poison if we don't eventually go, okay, I, I felt it. Maybe I even spoke to a therapist about it, but now I'm going to get myself out of that marinade and I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do what's within my control to move forward. So the yeah, but game was sort of a way to help my kids get out of that marinade. So I would tell them, tell me exactly what you're miserable about. Yeah, lay it on me. Say it all. And then after they were done, you know, venting, I'd say, okay, now, yeah, but. And then they knew whenever I said, yeah, but they would have to follow it up with something positive. So they would have to find the good. And I wish I had that when I was a kid, honestly. I think it would have helped me because <laughs> a, the good, right, the positive stuff is not just going to show up at your door. You can't Amazon Prime it. I tried. It doesn't work. <laughs> like, you're going to have to find it, you know. And if you can find it, if you can choose to find it, um, it will make life so much easier because life is hard, and we have to look for the good.
0: And yeah. how, how do you, like, choose that road? I mean, when you get to a fork in the road, that you know you could go eat a pint of ice cream and wallow in self pity or you can see the positive like how how is it for you or what do you tell people and and how to take that road that you want to take
2: I mean I tell them definitely do the pint of ice cream first <laughs> don't say no to the ice cream but then realize that if you just stay in it you will stay stuck so it, you just have to make a choice right do you Whatever you're feeling, do you want to feel this forever or do you want to move forward? Because the only way to, move, it's completely up to you. And you have to do the hard part of going, okay, I'm going to, again, get myself out of that marinade and I will try to find the good. And also being realistic about it, right? Things don't, nothing, nothing in my life, no change, you know, becoming positive, learning anything, or even reaching my career, you know, the career I have now, nothing came overnight. And we humans always want a quick fix. And just realizing that just a tiny step forward today and a tiny step forward tomorrow might feel like nothing. But it's kind of like, you know, when you do sit-ups and you'll do 100 sit-ups for a month and you'll go, oh, my gosh, I, this is stupid. I see no change, right? You have to keep doing it. You have to keep practicing. And I feel that same way about emotional health or mental health. You have to keep doing it. And then eventually you wake up one morning and you go, oh, my gosh, I do feel different. Things are different. I'm seeing progress now. But it won't happen overnight.
1: So, what what are you like most proud of?
2: Oh gosh, um, I mean, I could give you the the things that usually first come to my mind is like I'm really proud of my children. Um, but honestly, probably what i what I had what I've had to work the most at the hardest at is how I treat myself. So I would say what I'm most proud of and what was the hardest journey for me was just learning to be really kind to myself to give myself that grace to not beat myself up every time i make a mistake to just i mean it sounds so simple but it's so freaking hard just to be kind to myself because i didn't know how to do that for a very 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 long time
0: and so this is kind of not off subject but like what would you say your career is? I mean, you're cook, comedian, influencer, storyteller, <laughs> author. You do so many things. What would, what would be that the overall thing? Or is there, or are you just all of those things?
2: You know, what's funny is my kids ask me this all the time. They're like, I have to fill out what your job is Mom, on, a, you know, some paperwork. And I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> it's just, I don't even know. I mean, I literally don't have an answer. Um, this is the cheesiest thing I can tell you, but one of my followers said this and I loved it. Um, they said you're a cheerleader for humans, and I was like, you know what? I can I would not know what to do with pom poms, and I cannot do this pledge, but I like the idea of sort of being somebody. Somebody else said you validate the suck in life, and I was like, I like that. <laughs> so, um, so I have no idea. I guess the simplest thing would be content creator, author, but I don't, That just seems. I don't know. I don't know what I am. I'm just a fellow flawed human trying to make others feel a little
0: better. (laughs) I love it. And so, like, what do you think you would be doing if there wasn't social media? Would you still be trying to make a a TV show? Or or what what was your path before you got on this one?
2: I mean, I studied theater in college. And, like, even for my senior thesis, wrote a one-woman show. And I... I feel like I probably would be trying to find small local theaters to be a part of or to, you know, write a one-woman show and perform it at some little theater and, you know. Some, I, I, I'm assuming it would be something like that. So, and some, now I get to do basically that, but on a bigger scale, which is really fun.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, you're you're basically just yourself. I mean, that's what's got you the following— Everyone loves you because you know you are flawed and you don't you don't hide away from that was that was that a conscious choice to make or is it hard for you to be like man, I really don't want to share this uh, I mean you had the the thing with your son recently, but it yeah. w- was that was that really hard to make that choice be like all right I mean this is what people love and you know I gotta do it even though I don't want to do it
2: It was hard to share it first because I wasn't used to the hate yet. Now I'm used to it. (laughs) So, you know, at first when I shared, for example, that I was on food stamps, um, yes, there was a lot of like, oh my gosh, thank you for sharing that. But then there was a lot of shame thrown my way. Right. And a lot of people judging me, a lot of people judging me when I admitted I had gone through a depression. So, um, now it's not hard for me to share because, I am at a point in my life where I really do not care about other people's judgments and opinions, and I think the people who are judging and hating and all that are probably the people that actually need to hear it the most because they got a lot of stuff they're not comfortable sharing, and maybe if somebody else does, you know, they'll finally be able to be honest about their own stuff. But the thing with my son, um, so what you're referring to is we did a video where he opened up about his own mental health struggles and self-medicating and all of it. So we had been going through this as a family for years, and I never said anything. And even on, in my book in the last chapter, I touch on the fact, the last chapter starts with me saying how I broke down in public and sobbed into a spinach dip at a, pub, at a restaurant. And I don't even think I mentioned this in the book, but like, it was in my town where a lot of people know who I am, and people are staring at me, and I'm just sobbing into spinach dip. And so I sort of hint in the last chapter that our family had gone through something difficult. But I don't share what it is because it is not my place. I have never, anything I've ever shared on social media or in my book, I have gotten approval from my children to share. So um, I just never want to break that boundary. I don't want to make, you know, I don't want to disrespect them in that way. And so when my son told me that he wanted to open up about his own struggles, I actually gave him seven months to change his mind. And I'd warned him. I said, there will be people who will write awful things. And, you know, I warned him about all of it and gave him time. And I was really proud of him. He wanted to do it for the same reason I talk so openly about, is that, you know, he's like, Mom, if it helps somebody else feel less alone, then great. So I'm really, really proud of him because I don't know that at 18 I would have had that much confidence to share my
0: no oh, no definitely I wouldn't if yeah. I know yeah. that for a fact I would have just bottled all that up and just continued to struggle with it so it is again that's the Very the good impressive. side of of social media where you, I'm not alone there are other people out there
2: yeah and there was we, we actually after that video we did two Q&A's that are also on my Facebook page and YouTube channel and we just had people sending questions for him and one person asked are you worried about the judgment um, that comes with talking about mental health struggles and self-medicating and drugs and all of this stuff that you know now he's been over two years sober but are you worried about the judgment you'll receive for being so open and without even think and he didn't know ahead any of the questions that we were going to get without even thinking about it immediately he goes that's on them and I literally got like choked up because I was like man I can't even imagine having that attitude at 18 like that's on them. like realizing that that is that is, that judgment is is not personal.
1: That is not about me. Yeah, that's I mean, that's very impressive. And, you know, and good on you and your family for, you know, recognizing and owning that. It, I always find it odd that like people have this stigma about talking about mental illness and the, the possible outcomes of it. Um, so, again, you know, I, I think that's that's big for you and your family to put yourselves out there. And with that said, I mean, how, how does your family like handle your fame or, or the haters? I mean, your husband. I mean, how does he not <laughs> want to just like go into a rage and go find this person <laughs> and beat him up?
2: Um, I mean, there's we, we've definitely been through some awkward situations. Again, with you know, we had this awful situation where this one woman literally went on my social. She hated me for some reason. I'm still, I have no idea why, and she was from my town and decided to tell over two million people on my Facebook page where my son goes to preschool and what time he gets what time he gets picked up Whoa, Wow and so we had to immediately pull him out of school because again with that many followers on a public page it takes one crazy person right yeah. to decide to go kidnap my child so I mean we we've, we've definitely dealt with some hard stuff but I think as far as like you know when I get recognized in public and my kids are with me or or, or even whatever, people out you know their teachers or somebody asking them like oh is your mom so and so i think that the reason that they don't have resentment with me or you know just I've, I've heard from other people who do what i do where their kids like hate that about them um i think the reason we don't have that is because i have never posted anything without their permission like down mm-hmm. to christmas cards if you We've had family pictures taken. I don't know that you can find more than one family picture on my social media because every child would have to approve it and they're not going to. Like, so there's always going to be at least one kid who's going to be like, You're not posting that. I don't want my friends to see that. So, because they know that they always have the right to say no, or, you know, even there was this one story where my son, my oldest son, this is when he was really struggling. He had just finished a lacrosse game and I knew he was having a bad day and He was walking up to me and I could see on his face he was really struggling. And right as he's walking up to me and looking like really just depressed and he had had a really rough few weeks, this woman comes up to me and she's like, oh, my gosh, let's take some pictures, blah, blah, blah. And I had that moment where I was like, she's going to think I am an awful, snobby human being. But the last thing my son needs right now is to watch me take pictures with someone while he's literally hurting and just wants to go home. And so I just as politely as I could said to her, I would love to do this another time. I, I can't do this right now. I need to focus on my son. And I have no idea what she thinks of me, <laughs> and I can't care. You know what I mean? Like, But because my son, by the time I had said this her, he had already approached me and he heard that. Like I think it's because of that, they haven't been resentful about what I do. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. perfectly. I mean, it, it, it's just hard to find that that. that thin line there to be on what side you know I mean it's just yeah it's amazing I mean obviously we don't deal with that we don't have people approaching us in public yelling or wanting to take photos but what do you get the most when when someone sees you out in public what do they yell or say to you is it just oh my god I want to take a photo or is it there like a saying that you have that they yell at you or
2: (laughs) I mean a lot of times it's honestly people who will come up to me and like almost whisper because they don't want anybody here and they'll tell me you know i went through postpartum depression and this specific video of yours helped me or i went through a really bad divorce so i mean it's people who are like hurting and just want to and i'm i'm like getting choked up just telling this right now but just want to tell me that something i said or wrote helped them and my gosh like that is you know on days where i'm like i have nothing else to contribute i don't i don't have another video idea i don't you know or on our days where i'm just like getting so much hate from various people like that's the stuff that keeps me going is I don't even like what what how amazing I don't even know the word from something that I create to be able to touch someone who I don't even know right I don't even know these people and unless they run into me I will never know like I'm that's so humbling to me and actually at my shows we do a meet and greet after uh it's you know you have to meet and greet tickets obviously but it's the same thing like people just open up. And sometimes I'm the first person they've said something to because they carry shame about whatever they're feeling or going through. And so that's usually, it just, what it does is it makes me realize how much everybody is hurting. Every single human being has their struggles. And it's not that, you know, that means that every human being is struggling every single day, but everybody's got a story. Everybody's been through something hard and so many people don't have anybody that is helping them feel, you know, like, oh, same here. Me too. You're normal for feeling that. You're okay. It's going to be okay.
0: Is, is that kind of the most rewarding thing about uh, doing these shows is meeting these people and, and putting a face it's, to the comments?
2: It's my, it, the meet and greet is my absolute favorite part. Because again, like I, I get inspired by people's stories. I mean, I was going through this stuff with my son and nobody knew it. And I had people, come to the meeting because i was touring in 2019 also and i would have people come to the meet and greet to be like i was going through this hard time with my son he was depressed and he started taking drugs i mean they're literally describing what i'm going through in the moment and they don't even know and they're telling me how years ago this happened and my videos made them laugh and blah blah, blah. but now their kid is doing great and this is what helped and i'm and i'm standing there crying they don't even know why i'm bawling my <laughs> eyes out and they don't even you know i sometimes i would say to them i just I, I can't tell you my whole story, but I just want you to know you just really encouraged me. And that's what it feels like. I I sometimes feel like selfishly like I actually get more out of this than my followers because when I do open up, yes, there's always hate. But most of it is just these complete strangers from all over the world encouraging me and making me feel, you know, really good and sharing their stories of trials that are so inspiring, so I don't know. It's just a good thing to remember in general in life. Like everybody's got a story and everybody's hurting. So just, just choose to be kind. Don't make assumptions about people. You don't know what's happening at home. Just be kind.
0: And is that like your advice for everyone out there? Is, is, is that as simple as that is, is that what it is and what it boils down to?
2: Yeah. But I would add to that when you're, when you're busy working on being kind, don't forget about yourself because, You know, tough stuff in life is a lot less tough if we're not so tough on ourselves. And I think, from my experience, every human being I have ever met is really talented at being awful to themselves. (laughs) Like, every single human being seems to have the talent of just being way too hard on themselves and not forgiving enough. And I just think if you're kinder to yourself than when you face that tough stuff, it just makes it a little easier. Because the worst thing is, Going through something hard in life and then adding to it, right, by beating yourself up through it all instead of being like, I'm doing the best I can. And FYI, my best will not look the same every day. And that's okay.
1: So is there something you do for yourself then?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I all the stuff that I talk about, I still struggle with. I don't think there's a, like, whether it's about being negative or worrying or guilt or being hard on myself, like... I'm. I'm not. I don't think we as humans can reach this point where we just don't struggle anymore, yeah, right? Sure. Yep. So I talk about it and I share what helps me, but it's not like this has cured me. It's more this still helps me. Yeah. You know, I still struggle. So it's we'll, ongoing we'll, practice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll start to kind of wrap this up. We've taken enough of your time, and we we really really do appreciate yeah, it. Thank, uh, you, it's, thank it's, you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Oh, anytime. So we wanted to plug uh, your In Spokane coming up March 27th, 6 p.m. Tickets are uh, almost sold out, from what I understand. Uh, There are still VIP meet-and-greet tables available. Uh, You can get those uh, by linking through at our website. Uh, Also, you have the book, Hold On But Don't Hold Still, which, uh, I mean, you have two new fans uh, after reading that book. Yeah. It it, it's absolutely amazing and and it's just so enlightening. I feel like Uh, and and everyone can relate to it. I know we mentioned it that you know a lot of people might think that you're just for moms or families, but I mean absolutely everyone, no matter the age, can relate to this story. And you know uh, we thank you for sharing it and being so open.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, and uh, also if you know if you run out of uh, video ideas, the one that you made like a couple weeks ago last week of, of. hey, I don't know who needs to hear this, but you have laundry in the washing machine. <laughs> that was me, and I had to go take it out. So just make them simple like that because uh, that, it does really help that, too.
2: You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Thank you.
0: So, yeah, again, we, we appreciate you taking the time, yeah, and, thanks, and, and it was it was great, and uh, we hope to to connect with you and maybe hopefully see you in Spokane.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You're
0: welcome. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Take Bye. care. Right, bye-bye. Bye.